broadcasting live from the Santa Lucia Highlands through the heart of the Castorville Artichoke Fields, westward to the Elkhorn Slough, and south to the rugged Big Sur coastline. You're listening to What's the Plan? A weekly discussion with local thought leaders about the future of Monterey County. And now, here's your host, Mr. Paul Wyant. Good afternoon, everyone. We have a phenomenal program for you today. Senator John Laird is with us, and we're going to ask him about everything from the Cal budget negotiations, uh, District 5 supervisor, state-mandated housing in Carmel and Monterey, uh, the desal plant. We're going to cover it all. And, uh, and we're so happy to have Senator Laird on the program. What a, what a great uh, opportunity it is for him to speak to the community of the Monterey Peninsula and in Salinas as well. But first, before we begin, I want to remind you that this program is sponsored by Express Employment Professionals in Monterey County at Express. They can help you find great employees for your business. So call them today, 831-920-1857, or look for them on the web. Just Google Express Employment, Monterey County. Senator Laird, thank you so much for coming on the program. Really, a, really a privilege to have you. It's my pleasure, Paul. Well, thanks so much. Let's. Uh, I'll ask the first question uh, I usually ask. Even even Jimmy Panetta, when he was on, we asked this. To tell us because not everybody knows the background and the and the history of all of our uh, elected representatives. So, if you could tell a little bit about maybe your youth, uh, some of some of the things you've done so far in your career before politics, and uh, what got you into politics. Well, um, that would take up the whole show. So I will try <laughs> to be uh, uh, succinct. I grew up in uh, Vallejo. Uh, my father was a teacher. Uh, my mother raced me through college uh, as a re-entry student and taught uh, kindergarten and first grade. Uh, I went to UC Santa Cruz. I was in the fourth uh, full class near the beginning. Um, I got honors at graduation in politics in part because I wrote a thesis on the history of water development in California, which got me uh, uh, honors. And I did not understand I would be making a career decision uh, uh, by sort of getting involved in water issues. And I've never been far from it uh, in my career. I went to work for a member of Congress, Jerry Waldy. For two years upon my graduation, lived up in the Bay Area. He was interestingly running for governor against Jerry Brown at the time in Jerry Brown's first race, which made for an interesting interview question when I interviewed with Jerry Brown to be in his cabinet 30 years later. And uh, he, he became, went back to Santa Cruz and uh, did the county's health and social services budget for the CAO, was active in the community helped start the community credit union and the child care council. I was elected to the city council at the ripe age of 31, spent nine years, two terms as mayor, was on everything you could do. The transit board, regional transportation commission, water agency, whole hosts of things, uh, was termed off and ran our aid service agency at the height of the epidemic before uh, uh, the drug, drug cocktail was there. It was a very intense time and then was on the Cabrillo College board, had a regular radio show on KUSP, uh, had a newspaper column and got elected to the assembly in 2002. Very successful. It was budget chair. I represented the Monterey Peninsula, Santa Cruz County and Southern Santa Clara. And 82 bills signed into law in six years and a whole host of things. Served on the waste board, had an unsuccessful race for the Senate. Jerry Brown 
appointed me to his cabinet as secretary for natural resources. And I was the only cabinet member that went first day to last day in his administration. It's a wild ride. We did a lot of climate work. Uh, we did water work. We did marine protected areas, negotiated at Tahoe, but it was also the four-year drought, the incredible fires, uh, Orville Dam, uh, issues with state parks. And um, and then I started running the day after I was done for the Senate, was elected with a really comfortable margin. And the district goes from San Jose to the San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara County line. And I've been really active in the Senate uh, already, and we're in the middle of a session now. And and that is as short a version as uh, I think I can make it. That was uh, that was quite a quite a quite a synopsis. I think that was good. Uh, consult Wikipedia if you have questions. Any clarifying <laughs> questions is what I would say to people. Um, so right now uh, the session is in, and uh, the Cal State budget is hotly debated because we have a. Um, we have shortfalls. Uh, we 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 had been running, I think, in the black for several several years, but now um, it looks like we don't have enough money to cover all the things that we want to do. So, can you can you talk a little bit about the budget negotiations going on right now? Yes, and I should tell you, I'm the uh, the chair of the education budget uh, subcommittee in the Senate, which is roughly half the budget, and we just completed our work as a Senate committee earlier this week, and the governor's proposal. Uh, it was refined by what we knew in May. And the trouble this year is not just that there's a shortfall. It's that because of the storms, the income tax deadline was moved off. And normally, taxes come in on April 15th. By the time he issues his revised budget on May 15th, you know where we are. And this year, on at least the taxes, which make up a chunk of the budget, uh, we're flying blind. We have to go by economic indicators and estimate what that tax amount is. And we're, as you indicated, we're coming off a budget where there was over $80 billion of uh, a surplus. And what we did was add very little to ongoing expenditures and try to add to uh, one-time expenditures, capital improvements that have been put off other things, and then contribute to reserves. So we have reserves of $40 billion that we did not have 15 years ago. And the governor did not propose dipping into the reserves. He proposed really making some cuts and rolling some expenditures that were done last year into future years as the way to balance the budget. And education has actually fared very well. And that's obviously a big issue in Monterey County because of uh, Cal State Monterey Bay, because of uh, Hartnell, because of Monterey Peninsula College and and all the kindergarten through 12 uh, uh, schools. And they'll all be getting an increase because the one-time money went away and you can fashion an increase out of the remaining money, which is mostly flat, which is mm. actually good for them. But it really means that we're going to have to postpone things. We're postponing some of the climate investment, uh, trying to step back a little in other parts of the budget, but trying to do it in a way that it, it, it inflicts the least amount of pain. And we're literally in the middle of it uh, as we are recording this. Um, 
the budget subcommittees in the assembly and the Senate are all meeting. We were the only ones that finished early a couple of days ago. And so, and then we will get to a point that we are obligated to adopt a balanced budget by June 15th and send it to the governor. And sometimes we send the legislative budget and then we negotiate with the governor and he decides what he wants to sign in the budget we sent him and what he doesn't. And uh, it, it, the real challenge will will be just tying it all down at the end. One of the things he did in the education world is is there's such a housing shortage that we really allocated over two years three and a half billion dollars for higher education housing for the first time community colleges are gonna be able to build housing if they apply and also ucs and csus and where he wanted to cut the budget in january he revised it and allowed them to bond for the difference and funded the bond costs so we would not be cutting housing even though the budget is cut so those are some of the nature of things that'll happen i have to ask you about budget negotiations um california has had a democratic supermajority for um i don't know it's over a decade maybe maybe 20 years um and as a democrat do you wish that you didn't in some ways have a supermajority because if there were more republicans you could you could more easily attack some of the the budget spending that you don't like and it would make negotiations a little easier i mean you may not want to say but would i mean i think sometimes having a supermajority is like a double-edged sword because too few people are making too many decisions because you're probably expected to get in line with the party depending on your your level of power in the party and then you can't really attack some of the some of maybe the budget things that you'd rather not see a past uh in lieu of other things so it's a good question and and you know the real dividing line was i think it was in the 2010 election but in it used to be that you had to have two-thirds vote for the budget and as a result the budget was a month or two late and there were these record late and the voters moved it to a simple majority approved the budget and ever since then, we've been building up our reserves and doing it on time. And if you're doing it right, and I'm not suggesting it's done right all the time, if you're doing it right, you're really branching out and incorporating the opinions of many different legislators in what you're doing. And, and when I was budget chair in the assembly 15 years ago, we would have a caucus retreat and I would give, we would have this half day budget exercise where we would give the budget to little gr groups of the caucus and they had to decide how they would balance it where are you going to make cuts where are you going to make additions where are you going to raise revenues can you live within the existing revenues and it forced people mm -hmm. to actually deal with the re reality of what the budget is because to be honest a lot of people don't understand the total architecture of the budget who are in the legislature it's but a zero-sum game know. really yes well yeah but they know what their constituents want mm -hmm. and, and there was a there was these interesting polls when the budget deadlocks would happen 15 years ago where the public didn't want a taxes to go up and they wanted no cuts and we'd be 10 billion dollars out of whack and so 
Governor Schwarzenegger just kept borrowing against the deficit, and he was actually doing what the public wanted. They didn't want ta- new taxes. They didn't want to cut. And yet, Jerry Brown came in and spent his first three or four years just attacking the wall of debt to try to get the state's credit back to get the debt paid off and to balance the budget. And, well, he and- also saw increases in revenue, I think, didn't he, uh, Jerry Brown? Well, he went to the voters for one. But um, he also was genuinely cheap. That wasn't an act. I, I used to say if, if he could get away without paying his cabinet member salaries, he'd have figured out a way to do it. <laughs> he, he was genuinely that way. And, you, you know, in the there were certain things where he had a modus that I actually think the public really admired because before he would consider uh, adding money to a program, he would ask that it be cut and he would move in and cut. And then it would be demonstrated that, okay, here's where we are when we're to the bone. Do you want this? Do you want to fund a little more? And it wasn't just, oh, geez, we're short. Let's raise taxes. That's right. It, That's it, great. It a different way of doing it. That's phenomenal. Uh, You're listening to What's the Plan on 101.1 FM at 1460 AM. I'm talking to Senator John Laird. Let's shift into uh, Monterey County, uh, a hot button issue. We can talk about, uh, we don't have enough water, so we've got the desal plant. We can shift into, because I know you know a lot about water, we can shift into the the reservoirs that affect the Salinas Valley. But I also want to tie this into uh, state manning, state mandated housing as well, because they're they're also interlinked. I think we can have a productive discussions talking about water and housing at the same time. And uh, it seems, in my perspective, the the state is telling the cities to um, to build build new housing, low income housing, but at the same time, CEQA, Cal Coastal Commission, kind of uh, frustrates those efforts along with the lack of water and. You know the, and then we've got the reservoirs and the giant aquifer under the Salinas Valley. I don't know. I mean, it seems like there's so many competing interests, and they put the cities in a really bad spot. Like the state has kind of almost imposed uh, a kind of a, a damned if I do, damned if I don't kind of situations for the cities. I don't know. Do you have a different perspective on that? No, I have a very similar perspective. And if you start at the water, I actually did an op-ed last fall to try to put all the pieces of Monterey County together on how you needed to get to a sustainable solution. And I thought you probably needed desal, but at a size that was much less than what Calam was proposing, hopefully in public ownership, hopefully taking care of the concerns of Marina, that, that we needed to build out the water recycling plant to the maximum that that could do. It just made, no sense to do anything else uh with regard to the dams the uh they're in disrepair the the spillway um the state division of dam safety won't let one of the two dams nascimento and san antonio won't let one of the dams fill up because the spillway is is not considered adequate to deal with that and as a result we just had these atmospheric rivers and they could only fill one of the two dams up to a certain level and there's a proposal to have a tunnel between the two dams the two reservoirs behind the dams because they come from different watersheds and sometimes one is 
full and the other isn't, and if you could store them both to the full, that would be a major thing. And then there was an invasive species in one of them, so you had to have fish screens, so it didn't get in the other in the Salinas River, and it costs a lot of money. It, it, estimates range from about 215 million dollars high as high to over 300 the spillway the low estimate was 70 million last year i got the money in the state budget because the valves were in disrepair at the base of the dam and they couldn't access sort of the dead pool that was at bottom of the dam so i think six million dollars was in the state budget to fix that so not imagining that atmospheric rivers were on our horizon so you you could do that and then you've got the Salinas River, which is not fully in balance, and you have to figure out a way to make sure wh uh, uh, what comes out is equal to what comes in. And San Lucas has uh, uh, water problems. Castroville is drawing from a deep aquifer that doesn't recharge, and you have Marina on a separate water district, and you have the state with an order that you can't do uh, uh, extra stuff and have to lower the amount from the Carmel River. And it's a question of with this Rubik's Cube about how to fit it all together mm. and do everything. But and there are so many, uh, the infrastructure issues is, you know, the Pajaro River levees it kind of are, are like the dam that's in disrepair. It's, it's like it, the budget is so huge. It, it seems like there should be some money somehow with federal money or somehow to get those things like the Pajaro levee. I think you've got money for that, but, but this dam and, and, you know, this, the connection, maybe bringing more, more water to the peninsula through some way through a desal or something. Well, the thing about it, yes, desal and the water recycling ought to get the peninsula where it needs to go if, in fact, you resolve all these issues and get them online. The the Pajaro thing, just for a moment, is heartbreaking. It is. Because uh, Jimmy Panetta uh, and Zoe Lofgren's helping him now successfully finally got the federal commitment. I did a bill because it was so disadvantaged they weren't going to pay the massive cost from the local level to have the state buy out the local and then the locals last june funded themselves for the operations we have a fully funded levy project that's ready to go in a year or a year and a half and we couldn't get to it this happened before that happened and it, it's just heartbreaking because it's not just so you to be clear you had the money you had the project you just couldn't get the bureaucracy to move quick enough to get this well, thing you fixed. couldn't get the final planning and permitting done and now we're working to see if we can waive some of the the requirements before and see if we can even start building it soon was that related to the Coastal Commission or CEQA or anything like that is that what the planning not is? really I mean CEQA was a part of it but it was it was more that at the, the federal level, for the longest time, they said it didn't pencil out, and that log jam was broken. At the state level, it was like, geez, we're giving them this extra money, but we're capping the amount they can get. And my legislation blew off the cap and allowed them to get the full local share. And then the locals were able to pass the thing because these other two log jams were broken. And and so in the last two years, we figured it out and we just couldn't get there. And yes, and yes there's sequel, there's other stuff, but it's 
that's not been the major problem. It was the funding problem that was the major problem in, in getting it together. And so uh, now there'll just be this construction project that goes on a number of years and and makes the levee stronger, wider in some areas and and deals with the capacity. And I think one of the issues there is I don't think it was ever constructed big enough to to handle the major floods when it was constructed 60 years ago or whenever that was, you know. So. That's, yeah, that really interesting. Um, getting back to, so shifting back to the other water issues, those infrastructure projects, and you had mentioned, um, I think the, I think it's probable that the uh, recycled water program will build out to the, to its full capacity, but you mentioned public ownership of uh, Calam and that buyout. That that's met with a lot of contention. And do you th- do you yeah, worry about? Like- I actually meant uh, I'm oh, letting okay. that one go its own way. I meant just the desal plant should be oh, okay. in public ownership. Uh, let that other one play out. However, it's going to play out. Mm, okay. The people have voted, but it's in the courts and and. I think a lot of the opposition to the desal plant was really about the ownership and the rate recovery and that kind of stuff. And if you could have dealt with that, I think people might have taken a more realistic issue about what you need in terms of water for the peninsula. And so the dam, getting real quick, so people of interest to the Salinas Valley is going to be those two dams. Uh, How do you see that one playing out? Um, I think there's been this thing about just give us this big amount of money and it really needs to be a plan. How much can you get from the feds? How much are you asking the state for? How much will the locals put in? Can you phase it so you could do the spillway first and get to the others? And I think if there's a plan, if they come and say, okay, the, the state needs to do 20% of this and the part for the spillways first, it gives me something to work with. Have they been funded for that plan? Because those, those plans can cost millions of dollars. No, they haven't, but you see, they haven't targeted the different parts yet of who mm-hmm. could do it. And the state has $100 million for dam safety for the entire state. But if mm-hmm. it turns out that a state share of the spillway is 20 million or 25 million, that's within the realm of possibility. And I can go off and and I've been doing my due diligence. I talked to Antonio Villaragosa, the, the, the infrastructure czar. I talked to the governor's chief of staff. I talked to the secretary of resources, the secretary of ag. So Lofgren and I have been in very regular conversations. <clears throat> Robert Rivas and I have been in uh, regular conversations and it's really seeing if, uh, and Chris Lopez has been spearheading it. And I've really asked Chris for a plan. Give us a plan of uh, who's, who you're going to ask for what and let us go do this. Just say, give us $160 million or something. Yes, yes. It's not a plan. Uh, yeah. Senator, go ahead, Mark. Senator, this is Mark. I have a question about that uh, that tunnel that was proposed a number of years ago between Nascimento and San Antonio. Now, when I first heard about the ideas of this this tunnel, maybe 10, 15 years ago, probably about 15 years ago, the first price I recall them putting on it was $10 million, which I thought was really low. And, you know, now we're we're hearing, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a $160 million project. How do you go from 10 mil to 160 mil? Was that a, were, were they not including something in the, in yeah, the, they were not point? including almost the entire project because 10 million, 
10 million was just the cost for fish screens to keep the invasives from going back and forth in the town. I'd, I'd be surprised the, total at the plan. Cost was 150 or 200 million dollars. Yeah. I would be surprised if the plan cost less than 10 million because <laughs> planning an effort like that would be is like five, 10 million dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a great question, Mark. I have to uh, shifting gears because you know shift gears back to the peninsula. The Car- Carmel Pinecone last week, not this week, had an article about um, your support for um, maybe trying to change the number of houses uh, required, low income houses required in Carmel by the sea and maybe other peninsula um, cities. What um, can you? I, I think maybe they mischaracterized your thoughts, but I want to let you speak. They, about did, it. they did a little bit, and I have a letter to the Pinecone that I think is running this week that lays it out. And the real thing I got asked was: is I was in front of the Carmel Chamber of Commerce, and the mayor was there, and it, he said, "Will you help us with flexibility?" And he said, we're a 1.1 square mile community and we're fully built out. We don't have a lot of room for 347 or whatever the number of units is they're supposed to take. And my response was, is that I think when it gets to the 482 cities and the 58 counties, they're going to find there's a bunch of cities that way and the state's going to have trouble implementing it. And that will be the time to sort of act on flexibility that that of course I would work with them on flexibility but the time isn't totally ripe yet it has to clearly not work and the um there would the mayor just implied that he still saw the obligation to do it but maybe they could partner with other cities that had land or do other things and so he was recognizing the obligation of the city to do it but um mm. that that in a short version is it and i refer people to the letter that one. Oh, perfect i want to ask you quickly about um endorsements i know uh We've got uh, Diane Feinstein's retiring, and uh, Adam Schiff and others are running for that spot, or attend to run for that spot. And then at the local level, we have Mary Adams, who is not going to seek re-election in uh, the Monterey County Fifth District. Um, what? Who are you? Who are you um, endorsing for those two races, and why? Or anybody? Well, I don't uh, endorse in local races, and it, it's funny because I had the situation in Santa Cruz where I think two or three years ago. Uh, three, there were, uh, two city council members that were up for recall and, um, and four city council members were fighting three and all seven of them had endorsed me. So, uh, uh, I was just like, uh, there's no margin in this. I, I have to say, Kate Daniels is a policy analyst for me and is just great. And so it is painful, uh, that I might not endorse. And I, I haven't announced it, but um, in Adam Schiff's camp for the uh, uh, Senate, um, I know him very well, and I feel like he'd be a solid senator. He, senator he Laird, is like the uh, third. Oh, go ahead, Mark. I have yes. to ask you: Should given her health, what what the outside appearances of her health, should Senator Feinstein resign her seat rather than? staying into the bitter end um it's to the point now that it's really complicated uh you might lose judgeships and all this stuff if she's back there and can participate and vote then more power to her but if it's really demonstrably clear that she's beyond her capacities i don't know that there's much option and it's i haven't seen her in this so i don't know i was very close to her for a number of years when i was resources secretary because she was into water and we were just working together 
It just seems that, that, you know, herself and her, you know, aides, her camp is basically saying the senator will not resign. Absolutely not. And uh, they seem to be really planning, you know, their feet in cement on that. I really hope that her daughter just has her best interest at heart and is talking to her regularly. I have a mother who will be 99 uh, in a couple of months, and my brother and I talk all the time about whether we have to ask her to resign, what that would be like. Well, Adam Schiff is a very polarizing uh, candidate, so it will be – I'm a little wary of him just because the way he is um, perceived outside the state of California, he might be – you know, I don't know if he'll he'll encourage uh, you know more of the uh, of of the division. Well, that we're seeing, it's but. like I obviously want to work with people and really work closely with them, and I hope anybody that I'm associated with would do the same thing. Oh, that's well, that's very kind of you. And I want last thing is uh, you were supportive of not closing the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant. Hopefully, nuclear power is. Uh, statistically, the safest form of energy, if you include lung cancer, and I'm and I, I used to be a nuclear power plant operator. That's why I hopefully you'll continue supporting nuclear power, and and we can shift this idea that it's the most evil I'm thing. I'm sorry we don't have more time because I'd talk about it because we did a lot of things in that deal. And well, you come so, back anytime you want, Mr. Laird, and we'll talk about it. Absolutely, be happy so, to do it. I'll thank you. It was it was a pleasure. Yeah. It was a very it was a pleasure talking to you. I'm Paul Wyatt. Um, please go to Express Employment Professionals of Monterey County. I also want to thank Senator Laird for coming on the show. And, of course, Mark Carbonero, greatest producer in the business. And Mr. David Marzetti, host of the Saturday Morning Shagbag Radio Show right here on 101.1 FM and 1460 AM. Have a great week. Let it, let it get me down.